right, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Really fun episode today. Um, I think as the listeners know, I teach a class at Columbia Business School called The Economics and Politics of Disruption. We've had a really, in my view, great semester. And I asked three of the students to come join us, um, just kind of get their view on business school, whether it's worth it or not, kind of how they see politics now that they've taken this class, kind of generally how they view the world, given that they're in their 20s. So uh, thrilled to have all of them. Um, Amparo Perez-Arda, Olamide Fidaro, Lauren Bender, welcome all. Why don't you guys each take 30 seconds and introduce, you know, your name, or you, I gave you your name already, but like where you're from and what you did before business school. So Amparo, you want to start? Cool, yeah. Um, well, I'm from Spain, Madrid. Before business school, I did two years of consulting, like, half of CBS, and then two years at Amazon in retail in Spain. Cool. Lauren? Yep. I'm Lauren Bender. So I'm from New York. And prior to business school, I had a couple different roles in exec strategy, um, operations, communications at a law firm in New York. I did consulting in the Bay Area. And then prior to school, I spent two and a half years at Apollo Global Management working for Josh Harris across Apollo, his family office, and sports teams. My name is Olamide Fadairo. Uh, before business school, I worked at a big bank uh, in operations, and then I moved to real estate private equity, where I, I'm currently working. Cool. Good. All right. So um, you each had what sounds like interesting jobs before you came to business school. Uh, business school is very expensive. It's two years of your life. What made each of you choose to do it? I'll, I'll start with you. Um, I want to make a lot of money. Okay. You know, <laughs> um, it is mad expensive, as you have so eloquently stated. And, um, you know, my parents came from a different country, and they didn't come here to watch me be, you know, a struggling artist. Yeah, they, I'm very familiar with that first generation. You know, they, yeah. they want to see me, you know, stacking bread, so that's what I decided to do. And you felt like... You're already in a pretty lucrative field, right? Yeah. You felt like business school would allow you to do even better than that, or that you'll advance faster in that field? Uh, both, because you know the cost of living in New York is the highest in the world. So you know it's just important to insulate yourself as much as you can. Did any of your employers pay for you to go to business school? No. No. So, sorry. So the bad news is you guys have you know either expenses or debt, rich parents or debt, and the the good news is uh, you're a total free agent when you're done. All right, Lauren, why did you get to go to business school? I think generally I didn't know what I wanted to do. I started my career wanting to be a lawyer, realized pretty early on that that was not something I wanted to do at all good after call. working at a law firm. It took me three years of law school to realize that, so good call. Yeah. Um, and then I think what it comes down to is just there is a massive opportunity cost to going and taking yourself out of the workforce, but it also catalyzes your opportunities in a way where you can't get at just working a typical job. So for me, I wanted to make sure that like my downside was protected and that I could be lucrative in a bunch of different fields going forward. And also I think I wanted to be taken seriously. Like I worked for a lot of really senior guys when I would walk in a room, most people asked me to get coffee. So I think having an MBA like gives you credibility at the end of the day. Okay, in part. I'm gonna add to the credibility part from Lauren 100%. I saw it as a stamp in the long term on my CV, let's say, and also to make more money and find a better job, especially in the US. So being from Spain, it's not easy to get your visa to work here. 
Um, not a lot of people sponsor that. If you have an MBA from a top school, you get that automatically. And it was a good jump to then go back to Spain to a higher position. Will you return to Spain after this? Will you stay in the U.S.? Hopefully I will stay. Good. All right, so let's stay with you, Amparo. So, okay, so you, you now have all outlined why you went to business school. You're all roughly a year and a half in, three quarters of the way done. Um, what, how did it turn out? Is it what you expected? Have you enjoyed it? Are the career opportunities that are available to you what you thought they would be? Um, yes and no. So uh, it was what I expected or even better in terms of people, the classes, experience overall. In terms of jobs, it has opened many opportunities that I didn't know I even had or I wasn't even aware of those jobs mm -hmm. uh, back home or when I was looking at opportunities here. It's also a rough time to look for jobs. So I feel we're that percent that are lucky enough to have the CBS logo and job opportunities to find a job right now. But I think it is harder than I would have expected in other graduating years. Okay, Lauren? I think I was pleasantly surprised in some areas and then disappointed in others. Um, I agree with Amparo, like in terms of the people, I, I think the people are incredible and you really can't expand your network in an organic way that allows you to have a global reach and meet people from like really every stretch of the world and every sort of industry. Um, I mean, I, I went to school to gain clarity around what I wanted to do and in kind of a positive way, I'm leaving even more confused because you meet so many people who do interesting things and you realize that there are more opportunities than you could even imagine. Um, in terms of like Columbia as an institution and a lot of the classes, I was expecting it to be much more academic and challenging than I think it is. Where did you go to undergrad? Colgate. Did you find that challenging? Yes. And so I kind of thought, wow, I'm going to like an Ivy League school. Right. It's, it's not. It's funny. So I had the reverse experience, which is I went to Penn undergrad and thought it was completely not challenging. And then I went to Chicago for law school and it was very challenging. And yeah, I like the challenging one better. So, Ola? This, uh, this experience has not been... What I thought it would be. Okay, good. You know, this is this is what makes for good content on a podcast. <laughs> you know, it's so crazy. I'm just speaking from lived experience. Um, I think, you know, I've left some meetings with administration, and I've wondered how do you hold this position. <laughs> um, if I was this derelict in my duties, I'd be fired. Um, but I think the general lack of accountability. Um, is not only pervasive at the CBS level, but I think it's just a you know general a cultural level. That's academia. Yeah, yeah you know, um, so I can't really can't really fault them for the culture that they grew up in. Right. So you know you're not going to be a professor. That's your for or, sure. or at least not full time. I mean, I I could. They're just letting anybody profess. <laughs> right. But yeah, trust me, I know. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Look at who I'm sitting next to. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, in terms of the students, I met some really great people. Um, and I just would like to preface that um, because I've also met some of the worst people I've ever met. Really, in my life, students or faculty, both. both. But what what makes them so well. terrible? Um, lack of integrity, uh, uh, lack of uh, the ability to to take and make a stand, uh, being able to be influenced by what they think others will like. And what kind of gets me the most upset is that they're continued to be referred to as the leaders, future leaders of the world. 
but I think that in a lot of cases they are the future followers. Well, right. Of the world. So, so that's what I was going to ask you, which is everything you described could also be ascribed to just weak character, right? They don't have what it takes sure. to speak their mind, to disagree with people, For all sure. of that. This is a more philosophical question, but if someone has is born with weak character, do we then call them a bad person, or do we just say it's just like if you were born, you know, with a disability or whatever else? What think? I think you can have a weak character but still have integrity and. Even if you're a follower, you can be different types of follower. Like I have friends who probably do not make any decisions. They just do whatever you do or whatever they think it's right to do. But that concept of what is good or bad, they have it pretty clear. So, even so they're not weak, mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a nature versus nurture okay. question because it's kind of a choice, right? Like not everyone's born into a certain family or into a certain situation. And you kind of have to choose the life you want to lead, how you want to comport yourself, and you're molded by your experiences. So I think when people don't have formative experiences and they're not, and they don't lean into challenging themselves, that's how you get a weaker character. Yeah. Um, you have two quick No, no, no. Cool. All right, so, so you guys all signed up for my class. Thank you. Um, it's a weird class, right? It's the only one of its kind that I'm aware of at Columbia, and quite frankly, the only one I'm aware of at any business school, in part because we're the only ones that do what we do. Um, it's probably not going to help you get a better job in banking or finance or anything like that. So why take it? Um, Ola, why don't we start with you? Yeah. Um, the, my answer today is the same answer that I had Dave one. I think, you know, if you cannot tell, I'm a black man. And politics, I think, has historically disproportionately affected people who look like me mm -hmm. more than anyone else. I think my rights generally are on the chopping block every two years. So um, that's why I took the class, to be more educated in terms of the fight. Got it. Lauren? Well, I didn't get into the class, which but is you're how a I ended up. Actually, <laughs> you're the TA, actually. But you're basically as a result of the class. Yeah, I mean, I... I knew what to expect based off the syllabus, but I think we've also been iterating on uh, the content, right, throughout yeah. the semester. Yeah. Um, we are not on autopilot at all, right? So we're making this shit up as we go along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, going back to character and, and maybe even the Columbia administration, I think Columbia leans more towards, like, business technical skills and less towards leadership value investing that kind of stuff right yeah. that, that's what you guys are famous for right yeah and i think that it's a small subset of the population that actually wants to do that and that actually takes those courses so like personally i want to leave here being a better more well-rounded leader i think that you can go learn how to do like a dcf or a you know excel skills on google right yeah. that doesn't take a genius um so any classes where like I'm going to be challenged and think about society as a whole and tie business to culture is really appealing to me. So you didn't get into the class, and it, I guess it's just purely based on logistics. There's no nothing uh, qualitative about it. Um, and a lot of people sort of didn't get into the class. Would mm -hmm. the class be effective if we doubled the size next year? I don't think so. I mean, I think you could have expanded it to you know, we talked about nine, 10 more people and it yeah. wouldn't have made a material difference. But I do think what's nice about this class is that it is more community-based. I think everybody knows each other. Mm -hmm. You know people's name. 
um, and you have real conversations, and that's more difficult to do with double the class size. Yeah, I agree. So, Amparo, why did you take the class? And especially since that you come from another country, kind of what made you decide that, that learning about the U.S. regulatory system would be helpful? So I picked my classes basically based on professors more than the subject and the peer reviews. So I do one filter based on that, and then I take the names that sound cool and then look into the syllabus. And I think this one had something like get the playbook to grow a tech startup or something like that along yeah. those lines. Sounded fun. Yeah, and I was like, this sounds fun. I want to go do strategy at a startup. This is probably useful. I wasn't really looking at it from the U.S. regulatory mm -hmm. environment. And surprisingly, I had no idea, honestly. I've learned a lot, but also I feel like it can be used anywhere. So general guidelines, yeah. it's more for anywhere in the world. Totally. There's a couple of different like political people in Spain who email me regularly to sort of talk about this kind of stuff because that's their view too. Like why, why can't they do what I do yeah. there? So I think, now look, in a country that is not a democracy, if there's not rule of law, if there's not fair and free elections or some version thereof of that, then I think all the stuff I'm teaching you is pretty useless. But um, but that still covers like 60% of the world or something like that. All right, so you especially probably came in with not that developed of a sense of how politics works in the U.S., how, how media works in the U.S., all of that, because you know, you're from a different country. Um, what would you, How has your perspective changed over the last couple of months? Many things. I still don't know fully how politics work in the U.S., to be completely <laughs> honest. Okay. I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't taught you the entire system in 12 weeks. Yeah, of course. Um, I think my perspective in terms of when I read an article, when I see anything in the media has changed. Like, I don't only look at, okay, this is the source. It clearly has a political party, like, mm -hmm. support. I think of like, okay, what are they trying to get through? Why are they saying this? Why is the headline this? Like what's really behind this mm -hmm. whole um, supporting media they're getting? And I do that in Spain as well. Also it has changed. Um, so I think in the US you have a good thing that is you complain a lot about your country, but you actually try to get things done from an individual perspective. And I think we miss that in Spain. No one, we complain, but we, don't, we do nothing. We assume that it is what it is and we just make memes about our politicians, and that's about it. And then, okay, next elections come up, and no one's really trying to make a change from the population. So I'm going back home for a month now, and I want to try to start working on something that we can talk about later sure. to sort of get people to actually vote and be aware of what's happening. And Have you heard of mobile voting? <laughs> okay, the Spanish population is not ready for that. As much as I love my country, you would get so many people to be, well, same as here. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a challenge everywhere. I think so, it has changed my yeah. perspective in general of politicians. I had no, I was going to sound bad, no respect before in many mm -hmm. ways, and I still don't, I'd say, in terms of like what they're doing, what they're doing. I had more hopes for the U.S. to have different. So, so we had a, a lot of speakers over the course of the semester. Some of them were elected officials, Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey, Congressman Josh Gottheimer, Councilmember Eric Botcher, others. Um, did they change your perspective on kind of what you thought politicians were like? And, and um, no is a perfectly acceptable answer here. I actually really like Governor um, Murphy <laughs> in the sense that he had also the private sector experience and right. a very extensive education. So that gave me... I don't, I don't think everyone has to work in the private sector to be a successful politician at all, but I think he mentioned some skills that he had gained in the private sector that were helpful. Yeah. And seeing someone who could 
probably making tons of money in investment banking or whatever, uh, choosing to be a politician, it's... Yeah, I mean, he did make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, so he's in good shape. But look, I kind of believe that, you know, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have any elected officials that never had to meet payroll before or something like that, because it's just... The, as someone who has worked a lot in politics and a lot in business, the lack and the gulf of understanding on both sides is so... I mean, it's kind of what I try to do with the class and the podcast and my writing and everything else is try to narrow that gap a little bit. But it's so significant that both sides have a hard time being effective in you know dealing with the other side because they just don't even understand it. Was there a particular speaker that, that did appeal to you this year? Across... Not mm, just that okay. politician. Across anyone. all of them? Yeah. I really like Zach... Uh-huh. From Zach. Roe. Yep. Zach okay. Rotano is the CEO and founder of Roe. Yep. Yeah. Um, I like his I liked his perspective in healthcare, especially in this country. So I'd say that one was one of my favorite. Yeah. Ones. Do you ever see him on TV? He's in the ads. Oh hey. I was watching I like, a football game TV. the other day and I was like, Oh, there's Zach. It was kinda cool. Um, but yeah, he's 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 that that's not a surprising answer at all. So, Lauren, how has your perspective on the system changed? You were obviously already familiar with media coming into this class, but probably less politics and regulation. How did your perspective change on it? How do you think you might react going forward? And was there a speaker or two that you particularly enjoyed? Sure. Um, I think not major surprises on my end in terms of politics. I, I was poli-sci undergrad and was pretty politically inclined um, like earlier in my career. I think in terms of regulation, I, I just don't think I understood what went into the back end to get things done. Um, how many players were involved and kind of the campaign portion of regulation of all, how complicated the work is really that you guys do. Because um, you read the headlines and you think that it happens in back rooms, right? Like take Uber and the taxi unions. Like in my mind, that would have been you know conversations, but it really is a lot more. I didn't realize like how much work. Me, me kicking the living shit out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how complicated that was of a process. Um, in terms of speakers, the two that come to mind. It's funny because they're super different. Um, the first would be, I loved Catherine Dockery. I thought she was awesome. Yeah. Um, not. Often you see a, a female GP, but just what she's doing is is really cool. Um, just just for the listeners, I think Catherine's been on a, a couple of times, and so she's actually one of our more frequent guests. But for those of you who don't, she is the founder and CEO of Vice Ventures. It is a venture fund that explicitly invests in bad shit like alcohol, tobacco, sex, gambling. Um, I am an LP in her fund uh, <laughs> and on the advisory board, so I'm a big supporter of hers. Uh, perspective and and you I mean you're a pretty political guy already just based on the in the sense of when I've read your your assignments like <laughs> you're they're crazy um, but you're coming into it with with an under with a point of view for sure so how did that evolve and change and, and which speakers stood out to you uh, I think my perspective changed in that I became more informed which is you know Regardless of the side that you're on, I believe in having uh, superior information. So I think that um, my position, I wouldn't say has moved on the spectrum, but I think it has deepened uh, to a to a better, more robust understanding. Um, and in terms of speakers who stood out, uh, is this supposed to be good or? Whatever you want, you could you could criticize. I mean. Actually, you know, given that everyone volunteered their time and it was nice of them, 
let's not. You can afterwards. I'd be curious, but don't criticize anyone on the show. Okay, you know the. I guess the good people, quote unquote, stood out the same to me, um, and I thought you know the not so great, you know, stood out even worse. So interesting. Did the not so great tend because about half of our speakers were from politics, half are from business and tech. The which side did each tend to come from? I think the politics people generally came across worse. Uh, but I think that's maybe the nature of their business. Well, and they, I had explicitly said to them, open the kimono, show them how things are really done. So they were admitting to things that normally they wouldn't. Yeah, I, it's not that. I, I, don't, I don't think it's the that they admitted to something that I didn't already know. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times it's having the presence of mind to... Uh, continue to push a perspective when everyone else is kind of in on the joke, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so. they're, they're still reciting the talking points. Correct. Although, part of the challenge, I think what they would say to you is like, yeah, but you are a highly educated, highly informed voter and not typical of the electorate, especially the voting electorate, and therefore, the sound bites to you are annoying and actually sort of do more harm than good. Right. But for the actual general public and voters, for the 10-second clip you have on Channel 4 in the news tonight, they've got to do it. I still think that the more plain-spoken you are as a politician, the better off you are, I think especially in today's world. Um, but with that said, uh, I think that would be their argument. All right, so you guys are graduating in six months. Um, the economy is challenging. So two questions. One... Um, thoughts on what it's like for you and your classmates to try to find a job you really like in this economy? And two, more broadly, um, how do you feel about the economy, about the opportunities out there? Are they what you expected? Yeah, I want to start. Yeah, I'll start. So, you know, I I sit in a really uh, unique position because I feel like I'm uh, someone who's trying to get into this really conservative uh, industry. and I myself am not, you know, I don't fit the profile. Um, I think if you covered up the name on my resume, I do. But, you know, oftentimes it's the first thing that gets me uh, immediately disqualified. And the reason that I say that is because of the types of, you know, what is what is said in the content of the, reje- the rejections that I have received so, so far. what what would be a re- what's the content that would basically you know that based on ethnicity race that's why they don't want you uh, immediately misspelling my name or referring to me by my last name instead of my first name uh, or saying you know despite your immense qualifications yada 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 you know and and to the blind eye I might just be like oh well I'm sure that's boilerplate language that they use to everyone but I mean. Uh, you know, not to not to say that I'm entitled to a job or anything, but I just think that if I were to change the name on the top of my resume, my job-seeking experience would be vastly different, Got it. for sure. And looking for a job in this economy, is that daunting or because you're so highly qualified it doesn't matter? No, I, I don't think qualifications has anything to do with it. I think okay. it's about your network. Um, and I, I'm less so worried about getting a job, be, not because of the state of the economy, but because of the mindset of the people who are judging me. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my consideration. Uh, I, you know, I think, irrespective of how the economy is doing, 
uh, I'm like very well accomplished and I've achieved a lot. So, yeah. you know, that might be a little arrogant and come across the wrong way, but you know, I, like, I put in the hours to study. I graduated from the schools, you know, I traveled on the train hours a day seeking education for many years in a neighborhood I was not from. So yeah, I think I'm pretty confident. So Lauren. I think I feel immense pressure just based off of opportunity cost of, you know, leaving a good job, taking myself out of the workforce and now feeling the pressure to do something even better. Um, I mean, that doesn't have to do with the economic environment necessarily, just like my own personal experience. Um, I think that there are some industries that are being hit harder than others. So if you wanted to go get a job at Meta or Google, your opportunities are probably less than they were like yeah. a year or two ago. Um, I'm not personally seeking those sorts of experiences, so I'm not stressed about getting employed. It's just a matter of like, is the comp going to be worth it? Is the title going to be worth it? And like, will I be satisfied at the end of the day based off like getting my MBA and going through this experience? Right. And as, as a result of all of that, are there particular industries that you're leaning towards? Um, I think, so I worked for a high net worth individual before school, and I think the benefit of doing that sort of job is that the money will always be there. Yeah. Um, so maybe inclined to do something like that again, um, more so for an individual rather than for a company. I like in particular for, I like startups, but mm -hmm. going to a series A startup, I think right now, unless you felt really passionate about it, might not be well advised. As someone who invests in series A startups, <laughs> I, I get it. Um, and Paro, what do you think? Um, I'm with Lauren in the whole compensation. I think it's more about what kind of job we're going to find in terms of compensation and recovering all the investment we've made over these two years. I'm also, I think the economy has hit hard in terms of less companies sponsoring students as well, which you guys don't have to worry about, which is great. But I think that's my first filter. I started looking only at tech and now I'm looking at everything that doesn't have a requirement of having a green card or being a U.S. Mm -hmm. citizen, so... Well, well if, if everything you've looked at is available to you, what's your first choice? Healthcare, but a startup mm -hmm. at a growth stage and small enough to be able to do things there, deliver results, make it grow, expand it mm -hmm. internationally or somewhere. We can have a conversation offline about sort of how, who those companies are <laughs> and how we can get you to them. Um, all right, so Paro, stick with you. So you guys are all in your 20s. And it's very easy to paint the picture of the world as very negative and scary. And I think to a certain extent, internet, social media, the media system we have more broadly sort of just reinforces that on a constant basis. How, how do you feel? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Do you feel like climate change is going to end your life prematurely? Do you feel like the world's actually still a pretty exciting place? What's it like? I think the world is still a pretty exciting place. I don't think climate change is gonna affect us. I do think we have to change it for future generations and work on it. I'm concer more concerned about other things in the short term, such as the middle class. I think it's gonna, at least in Spain, it's a class that it's coming to an end. Mm -hmm. It's more extreme, like either you're rich or you live under the minimum line of poverty. I'm more concerned about that in the short term and things that I'm gonna see. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I think. A lot of it lays with the government and politicians, um, but I would say in general, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Laura? I think I'm pessimistic about 
the U.S. in particular. Um, and that viewpoint has been augmented by folks that I've met from school, even people from, you know, countries that are fundamentally less democratic. I think, you know, hearing their experience and then looking at our country and seeing where it's going um, gives me pause. And I think that that has been, that has grown in the past couple of years. And so I, I think I'm a little nervous about like, where am I going to live? There are very few places I would live right now in the United States. Where, where um, would you live? Uh, probably New York, California, Washington State. Washington State, got it. Um, so definitely coastal. What if I said to you, and I, I think we discussed this in class, the U.S. can become multiple countries, um, and you know New York or some version of the Northeast is its own country. Would you prefer that? This is, I mean, I guess a hot take, but probably yeah. Like I don't think it's sustainable where we're going right now. Yeah, agreed. Um, so what are when you talk about the issues that worry you? Are they more macro, like you know, pandemics, nuclear weapons, climate change, AI, or is it more specific, like the cost of housing and medical care and all of that? Um, I think it's both. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm in awe how backwards we've gone. You know, particularly in women's rights. Like, I, I see people going to move to Texas. Like, I'll, I'll never go move there because yeah. you go there and like my rights are cut in half, right? So. I mean, that's been just a major eye-opening concern. I think inflation and just the rising costs, like if I can barely live in New York City, you know, and I'm a well-educated MBA who's making a decent salary, like who can, right? Yeah. Um, so what happens then? Yeah, Ola? You know, I think it depends on who you are. I think, um, you know, if you, probably were not um, in the room when the Constitution was being written. I wasn't there. Um, you know, if, uh, or rather someone who looked like you, yeah. who's not in the room, uh, you should probably move elsewhere. Um, because I don't see, you know, generally, I think there are, each generation has like a champion of rights, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't see, at least so far, um, anyone in my generation caring enough to be that champion. Not that I'm waiting for someone else to fight for my rights, but... So AOC is not your champion? So, you know, just going back to... Um, going back to... Going back to that, yeah. I, I don't see... I don't see a, a trend towards, you know, moral superiority in the way that the United States has held that um, banner in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've been surpassed and I think countries continue to surpass us um, more and more you know it's it's really funny I hear a lot of people talk about how that you know they would never live in this country or that country because their politicians are like that and I'm just like you know look like look in the mirror you know look at our politicians yeah. look at do you think they care about your rights or do they just care about their portfolios do you envision yourself moving to another country at some point? And if so, for kind of personal reasons as opposed to work reasons? The, the only real reason um, that I'd move is for a job opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think so, socially, 
uh, it's pretty it's pretty much been par for the course in terms of like how I'm treated by society, mm-hmm. and I think as I get older, it'll probably you know stay that way. Mm-hmm. So it's not uh, it's not a battle that I'm not prepared for, but I think like if you aren't highly successful, like what are you gonna do? Right, right. So speaking of that, it, it society sort of has this sort of tendency now to kind of build people up, and then once they hit a certain point, you tear them back down. And we've seen a bunch of business leaders in, in, in even recent weeks kind of come to earth or seem like they are, um, Sam Bankman-Fried kind of being the most obvious, but you know, Elon Musk, depending on your perspective, and a bunch of other people too. Are there any business leaders that you guys genuinely admire, and if so, why? Oh, I'm gonna assume the answer for you is no. I, I don't wanna say the answer is no, but okay. I think it depends on what you mean by, do, you, do I admire their business sense or do I admire them as people? Uh, either one. Um, you know, I think I admire any guy who, uh, or any person rather, um, who, you know, worked, um, worked from the ground up. Um, I think I respect that story. Obviously, that's my bias. Um, not having come from uh, a high income background, you know, that's something that I, um, I lean towards. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I think you're anti Lucky's Prom Club. I mean, I, I certainly am. You know, I can't ever blame someone for for you know being born on third base. But what I don't like is someone who says that they are a genius, but they you know got a five hundred thousand dollar loan from their parents right. to start the business. Like the former like, president. Yeah. You know, not naming names, but <laughs> you know. Got it. Lauren, anyone that you particularly admire? And look, you were, you know, you were at Apollo, which is sort of one of the, the pinnacles of finance. Um, and look, uh, Leon Black, your leader, was very publicly disgraced. Um, what was he like before that all happened? And kind of how do you look at, at business leaders in, in the sense of what you expect from them? Uh, okay, but one business leader that comes to mind, um, like, Amparo and I both uh, are pretty involved in like the women in business organization at Columbia and Mm -hmm. we had Sally Krawcheck come speak to um, a bunch of women for a conference a couple weeks ago and you know she's a total badass like she was give the listeners a little background yeah so Sally Krawcheck she um, was two-time CEO she was the CEO of Bank of America Merrill Lynch she talked about she was fired twice I mean she gave her personal story of like coming up from you know, pretty much nothing and in getting into finance. Um, and she right now is the founder and CEO of Elvest, which is a company investing in, um, that teaches women how to invest. Uh, and it's currently, I think they've raised Series B um, and are doing quite well. But yeah, she, she is completely authentic. She is practicing what she preaches. She's, you know, well-spoken, impressive, and She's not trying to be anybody other than herself. And I thought that was really refreshing to see, especially from, you know, a senior woman in business. Like, you don't, you don't see that often. I'm going to take this one home and say Amancio Ortega, the founder of Inditex. He's no longer leading the company, but he grew from nothing. Um, Inditex owns Zara, among others. Yeah. Uh, he had nothing. He grew the company. He stepped down not long ago. He's not taking care of anything anymore, but he's down to earth, he has his values clear. I don't think they've ever found anything wrong or he has done anything bad. I mean, maybe it's just time, seeing how things go, but he's a great 
There we go. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun. And um, uh, if you so, so usually when there's like a founder on, Ian would like tell us how the listeners can find your company or whatever it is. Or even like when I had my daughter on. It's funny. She spent 20 minutes bashing social media and then ended with follow me on Instagram and this gave her <laughs> stuff. Uh, if you guys want to provide ways for people to follow you, please do so. If not, don't worry about it. Yeah, if you want to hire any of us, find yeah. us on LinkedIn. There you go. <laughs> All right, good enough. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you.